in Halo. It's fine. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to the 10,000 Kilometer Podcast. I'm Richard Frazier, and this is Nick Harnett. A few years ago, I set up the 10,000 Kilometer Cycling Collective with the aim of bringing together like-minded people around the world that believe that it's not about going fast, it's about going far. It turns out that a lot of people subscribe to that credo and that it extends far beyond riding a bike. Each episode, we want to introduce you to some of those people. They might be cyclists, but there's every chance they won't be either. What connects them all is their worldview. This episode, we chat with Claudia Schrogel. Claudia is a German-born, London-based runner and co-founder of Daybreak, which is a communal hub for runners that focuses well beyond the performance side of the sport. Everything from education to its social element and the process of discovery. It also covers every discipline from the mountains to the city streets. Claudia's taken part in an endless but still growing list of endurance and ultra events, from triathlons to trail runs, but she does a far better job of explaining some of those experiences than I do. We caught up with her just before she headed off on the Transalpine Run, a seven-day trail marathon that covers over 250 kilometres in distance, more than 26,000 metres of elevation, and takes runners for a total of four countries from start to finish. We spoke about that and an awful lot more. Hey Cloudy. Hello. Thanks very much for coming in and chatting to us. Um, just going to dive straight in mm. and point out the fact that you're not originally from London or the UK. No. So not. keen to understand mm. how you ended up here in the first place. Yeah, I question that myself as well. Um, how did I end up here? <laughs> it wasn't sport. Um, mm. It was actually um, work, career, studying. So, um, I mean, I always wanted to get out of, like, the town I grew up in. It's not too bad, but it's kind of a bit, like, narrow-minded and all of this. And obviously, you know, the world is, is, is huge. And um, I went to Hamburg to study for two years. So I studied graphic design, advertising sort of stuff. Um, and their university had a partnership with a university here in the UK. And I said, brilliant, London, I always wanted to go there. Uh, never been there, never mind. And literally just, more or less, like, applied for it and said, like, yeah, you can start in September and... Um, but it wasn't London. <laughs> it was somewhere outside of town. They said, like, yeah, it's 30 minutes with the train into the town centre or city centre. Yeah, if you take the fast train into Marlborough, then it's like, you know, 30 minutes. And I'm like, right, OK. I mean, it was basically I ended up in High Wycombe. <laughs> Buckinghamshire. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was it was quite a, it was quite a cultural shock. Um, but yeah, so basically um, did more or less the same degree, um, but only had to do the third year, which was kind of brilliant. Plan was then to go into London and get, find a job for a year, polish my CV, obviously, with a bit of like experience from from uh, from London and advertising in London. I mean, I think still kind of um, work and like design in Germany is a few years behind the pace of, of London, I'd say. And then, yeah, the plan was just after a year to go back to Berlin or Hamburg or whatever and just, you know, make a career there. Kind of never left. <laughs> Not sure what happened. It's been, it's been 12 years now. This year. 12 years ago and you've, yeah. not, and you've been here in London ever since. Well, after that year, yeah. yes, I didn't want to ever go back to the countryside. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's been, yeah, London then 11 years, yeah. So that's interesting. So you've, like you say, you've escaped the countryside in sort of this small, 
Um, narrow-minded sort of mentality. Yeah, yeah, and that's what pushed you away rather than anything else. Because obviously now I guess you're also, kind of seeking yeah. the out- outdoors. You're seeing the funny, yeah, yeah, countryside yeah, yeah. and what yeah. you. Well, I always, I always love that um, at home, but it kind of just that is not enough. And I think when you're young and you're kind of, you know, you have an idea, vague idea, what you do, what you want to do with your life in terms of a career, um, you you obviously try to push some boundaries, and you can't do this in a small town, if that makes sense, right? So first of all, we haven't we haven't even got a university or anything like that. So for educational purposes, you had to kind of go somewhere else, anyways. And then, I mean, I was always drawn to the idea of kind of doing something outside of Germany uh-huh. even if it's just a year I mean lots of people do that for experience or travel or whatever and um, I have no idea why it was London but like yeah there we go it's got a gravitational yeah. <laughs> pull all of its own yeah. isn't it um, did you arrive here a runner or a cyclist or a sort of sports but interested in sport or mm. is that something that you discovered here and got into here how did that happen I have always been quite active, thanks to my family, especially my dad. So, I mean, he put me on skis and on a tennis court at the age of four. Brilliant. You know, like the little kids on their skis just going like, no, no fear, just go yeah, down the hill. Yeah, 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 it was brilliant. Um, oh, these ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah I remember that. Um, and yeah, I mean, tennis was hilarious because basically just trying to kind of like hit this yellow ball, but like not very successfully. Um, but I played uh, tennis for, oh, God, 20 years or something like this quite to like up to a decent point but um, I had the, even the opportunity to kind of um, you know progress this more and go more towards the sports but I actually said to my parents that I don't want to do this I want to literally focus on education it's so boring <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah so I kind of like just yeah finish my A-levels and all of this um, and then obviously when I moved to Hamburg it, with tennis it's difficult because you know like you need to have a club you need to have some sort of friends or you need to kind of sign up and with the tennis court and booking everything I didn't know anyone really so I'm like well kind of couldn't do it anymore and um, had to sadly stop or I guess maybe after such a long time I was just like I want something new but I was never really like a gym person I hated the idea of doing something indoors because obviously tennis I mean everything was like sort of an outdoorsy kind of um, act based activity and yeah I tried the gym hated it I didn't I, I didn't understand the idea why would you run on a belt like kind of you're not even going anywhere with it right it's like it's just really bizarre um so randomly through a friend i picked up running absolutely hated it i'm so sorry but i really hated it um i mean with tennis there was obviously an element of running but it was more like you know like you're mentally so much more engaged in the in the game and the play and you were chasing something and, and there's so much more to it than just being on your feet um, and more like the short sharp turns so the idea of running continuously slowly wasn't really mine um, so that friend took me um, around the um, lake or river like in, in Hamburg the Alster um, that was very English Alster <laughs> and um, it's like a 10k loop I literally thought I'm gonna die after like five minutes because it was just so bizarre and I thought like well I, have, I feel like I haven't got any fitness or anything. Um, eventually, kind of like you keep doing it and you get better at it, but I never really liked it. It's really bizarre. And that's then after a year, then there I went um, to the UK. And the only thing that really was left again was just either go to the gym or run. And that's what I did. So I just like with a pair of trainers, I mean, at least I could keep active and I always wanted to do something outdoors. When you, So when you were going out 
and sort of discovering running for the first time and starting mm. to actually enjoy it that bit more were you still doing it on your own at that point was that something mostly that, yeah. um just because i think my 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 idea of running was always it's 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 a performance thing it's like it's training it's part of it was always part of tennis so the running enabled me to kind of play better because there's an element of endurance you have to develop or sprints and you know you're on your feet but it was never just for the purpose of I mean, I don't even know what purpose or other purpose there really was, like just to kind of go from one point to another or yeah. just run for the sake Enjoy. of running or just run slowly or just have the headspace or it was never that in that sort of um, box for me. And, and I remember I really struggled with this when I came to London because back then, like run communities and all of this stuff wasn't really particularly big, but there was one run community, Run Dem Crew, and I somehow like kind of came across them I ran with them like once and sorry guys but I really didn't like it because for me the concept of like running with a big group of people also running in a city like on the road with traffic and traffic lights and I was like what is this mayhem yeah like I'm running I'm, I'm not talking when I'm running like I'm like working hard and um I, it really took a long time for me to get my head around this whole sort of like running with people uh, from like away from a performance point of view if that makes sense right so even in training when we were training in, in tennis or even when I was in high weekend I was training with a friend we were training we were running hard we were not necessarily running next to each other or talking to each other we were just trying to get our workout in if that makes sense right completely okay, and were, were you doing that with an end goal in mind were you training for something were you training to run in events at that point or was this just an alternative to the gym, a way of keeping in shape and sort of... Well, I always just wanted to be active. I think at that time, really, I got into some sort of, like, half marathon. Someone told me about half marathons. So I was like, oh, right, you can run that far, <laughs> even. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I trained for a half marathon. Obviously, back in Hamburg, because I missed Hamburg. I studied there for two years, came into the UK. I mean, I thought it was a great opportunity, my first ever race to be um, a half marathon in Hamburg. And I was like training. I had no idea what I was doing really. Like I just like thought like, yeah, I'm totally gonna smash this. I'm gonna run a 145 or something like this. Longest run was like, I think 17K. Thought I totally got this down. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I think it was, uh, I did uh, two hours and eight minutes. It was a very hot day, I must say this. I also did stuff like, I heard about the gels, like nutrition and stuff you can take on a run. I don't even know, probably I read it in a magazine. And I thought like, oh yeah, I'm gonna try this. Obviously I haven't practiced this in training or anything. So I literally first time, like I took these, I think back then it was these like really sticky, gooey, small ones. Mm. Anyway, and I took this at, yeah, like 11 kilometers. I was basically like nauseous for the rest of the race. I was like, what is this? Why do people actually like this? And, and it was just an awful experience. Um, uh, I'm really selling this running thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what, what so exactly, how did, I, how did I go from there to... Uh, to where you are yeah. now, sort of ultramarathon runner, hosting, leading, you know, your own run yeah. community or yeah. joint run community, um, helping out with Adidas yeah. and doing stuff with Adidas runners. Yeah. How do you go from finishing a half marathon to thinking... Like, where did the enjoyment kick in? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, this is where it's kind of go, goes a bit crazy, but um, obviously, I mean, like, eventually I went to the gym. I mean, out of all the things, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there you kind of like meet people because I just wanted to kind of push this kind of sort of like running bit, a bit further. I did run on a treadmill. I never enjoyed it, still don't. Um, but I started doing some weights and stuff. I mean, we've done that with, with tennis as well. And, and I kind of quite enjoyed it. I just didn't like the idea of doing stuff indoors. Um, but then get to, got to know more people there. And then um, 
basically someone told me about triathlon out of all the things i was like what is a triathlon now <laughs> and um yeah and get, got into this randomly but i thought like i can cycle i learn you know i can swim obviously not to the to the degree you need it for for these sort of like kind of endeavors um and well i started it gave it a crack also at the same time i was training for a marathon i think i was looking for a coach because i grew up in a coaching environment obviously with tennis we always had coaches and I love that kind of like having someone to tell you what to do, but push you um, and really like that personal sort of development that comes as well, because obviously the coach is really very much looking after you as the individual, the, the, the child back then, the teenager. And then, yeah, um, long story cut short, somehow via triathlon and a triathlon sort of coaching um, degree or two. Um, I also started to, like I, I did my first marathon. It's actually not that long ago. It was 2012. Um, and um, it was Amsterdam, kind of a better experience than uh, the half marathon I did in, in Hamburg, but still pretty much like awful because I had no idea what's happening beyond, I don't know, 28 kilometers. I think that was my longest run I did in Hampstead Heath out of all of the things. I mean, Amsterdam is very flat. I ran on trails in Hampstead Heath. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the last six miles, last 10 kilometers are always a bit challenging, but yeah. But I don't know. It was a strange feeling when I finished. I could barely like I could barely stand on my my. my my, my legs or my feet like people had to help me to in my like tracksuit bottoms and I was just a mess I was like what are people on about it's like kind of crossing the finish line of a marathon it's the best thing ever in your life it's like elation and everything I was like no I'm just in pain <laughs> but it funny enough literally after I had some food and I sat down and actually realized how far I've run on my own two feet I never thought I could do this eventually that kicked in and then I realized maybe it's the longer distance I'm actually kind of you know that's my thing because it has that sort of mental aspect it is a lot more about strategy i think with the shorter stuff you need to just fire and that was never really my thing and i yeah run another marathon and i was like oh i'm really starting to like this so my second marathon was um a year over a year later and it was only out of um, a friend who wanted to run a sub 330 it was a guy and i thought like well i don't think i can run that quick I mean, if my first marathon was like a two fifty, three sorry, three fifty something. I mean, not bad for the first one, but what's it like? Yeah, um, still no idea what I was doing. And I thought like, well, I can train with you. Maybe I just kind of I go with you, and we can run as long you know together as long as I can hold on to you. And you just go. Why I went also is like he said like, hey, how about Reykjavik? And I'm like, oh my god, I've never been to Iceland. I think that was the other thing as well. Just like for me, traveling going and do a race, experience other things. I mean, basically whatever, marathon and stuff like this. It's a very personal journey, but being able to share it um, was quite nice. And I mean, it was an incredible experience. And I think that really was a breakthrough, but because the whole package worked. Mm. Kind of going somewhere you've never been before, have that sort of travel, meet friends there, have a great time, be in, a, again, a completely different culture and environment. Um, and Iceland is absolutely fantastic. A uh, bit strange because it's a summer marathon in August. It's like their summer is like 10 degrees and sideways rain. Um, <laughs> but um, oddly enjoyable. And um, I don't know really quite what happened on that race, but basically um, I had to drop my friend at 32 kilometers. We couldn't eat, couldn't eat the pace. <laughs> and I like rolled over the finish line at like 3.28. And he came in a few minutes later, but like, another one of these breakthroughs where I'm like, what just happened? Like, this is a lot more enjoyable than whatever I did in Amsterdam a year ago. Obviously, my training was a bit more structured. I had a bit more of an idea. Generally, with fitness and spending some time in the gym, blah, 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 I got 
better, of course. Um, but I think mentally really something changed in that race because also the weather was kind of a bit rough. But the whole package, it was so, so nice. And I enjoyed it so much. And that really that enjoyment in that long kind of sort of marathon journey. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I kind of looked at my watch and I was like, how, how, how? I completely surprised myself. I did not believe I could run this sort of time. And then friends send me lots of messages. Oh, my God, you ran a Boston qualifier. I ran a what? I had, again, no idea what all this was about. But then people said, like, well, here's a link. Sign up for it. And then the year after, I was in Boston. I mean, it was just, like, absolutely crazy. And that's only a few years ago, really. I mean, I... I remember when I was um, sort of getting into cycling a bit more seriously and sort of starting to cycle a bit further, starting to explore a little mm. bit more. And you have these thresholds in your head, don't you? Is that when running marathon, the marathon is obviously a very big threshold. It's a long way to go on your own two feet. And in my head, 100 kilometers in the first place was a long way to go. You know, crossing over into three figures, that felt like on the bike. huge thing to unlock. Yeah, yeah on the mm. bike. Yeah, let's be clear. On the bike. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> never, when did you run 100 kilometers? <laughs> on two legs, which are attached to pedals and rotating. Um, <laughs> it sat down. <laughs> it was sat down. But, I, I, you know, that it, it feels like a really long way and an almost unattainable distance until mm. it isn't. You get there and you do it and you realise that's possible. And then you start asking, you unlock a part of your brain or a part of your mind that you haven't really accessed before mm, when you mm. start to think well what what else can i do with this what where else can i go is that something that you relate to and and felt and led you into the areas yeah. that you ended up going into yeah i think probably now that we like you mentioned all of this kind of unlocking certain parts in your brain or like kind of like you know that that possibility piece or the opportunity piece i think really what made the difference for me with the marathon running i mean i'm a creative person obviously coming from like that sort of advertising marketing graphic design background um and it's a high pressurized environment especially when you try to make a career and whatever but headspace and creativity i mean creativity goes hand in hand with headspace you don't have it in the industry you have to kind of produce ideas you know you just have to instantly almost but that's not how it works so i was always seeking some sort of balance and trying like the running was always or like some sort of activity was always happening with a busy still day-to-day job and and it really kind of really gave me great balance but also when I'm running my ideas are coming it, it's that kind of de-stressing I think that's where I got into like it's kind of de-stressing a little bit do something healthy because whatever I've done throughout the day and working really late and then god um just yeah I needed some some sort of positive balance to kind of like something healthy um but what I realized is like the more I ran and that was by all means not anything crazy so far or not much during the week um I really like after a few minutes let it be 10 minutes you know like you you kind of you you, you let go of that stress you like you start to relax into it everything kind of starts to flow a bit without being too kind of spiritual but you feel like this this makes perfect sense that sort of movement on my own two feet and with that relaxation almost physical physical relaxation the headspace came and the thoughts were clearer and whatever, if there was a problem, if it was a work-related problem, if it was an idea or something like this, it went absolutely crazy and I loved it. It was just like getting stuff in order, but also having the opportunity to dream up new things. And I was always, every time I came out of a run, I was just like, I was inspired, I wanted to do stuff and there were so many new ideas like popping up. And I think if you run a marathon, I mean, no matter how long that takes you, it will take you like anything over three hours, um, four or five, it doesn't matter. You have a lot of time to think. 
And I think really that was there was just brilliant space for me to explore. And that's when I was unlocking a lot of things for me personally in my life, not necessarily my career or not necessarily my running. But it was really that sort of dream opportunity space I felt happy in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of jumping ahead and missing out mm. some really, really interesting and key bits that we'll come back to in a bit. But is that what led you to taking this idea and taking those feelings to other people? Do you want, is that where things like Daybreak mm. came about from? Is it about trying to give people the platform and the opportunity to feel how you felt or you know, experience Probably, and think yeah. like you think. Yeah, I mean, but not as obvious, maybe. I think lots of, the, any any part of my journey, um, it kind of all happened quite naturally when I even like now think back. Um, it make, made perfect sense. Like I was just exploring different things. I got to meet, it's always the people I met. Um, and then if you two, put two people together, they have two sets of ideas, for example, they have two sets of like personalities and whatever they want to get out of life. And I think if you just kind of like click, um, you can create something incredible, right? And, and I think that was always what was happening. So with getting to know more people, getting to know myself better through whatever challenge, challenges I was doing or the running um, or even just life and work, um, you know, more and more ideas came up. And you were sharing those ideas. So it wasn't just like, oh, no, I've got this crazy idea and I'm just going to not tell anyone about it because, I mean, to be honest, you're not going to be in mental world. I mean, every idea has somehow been there and that doesn't matter what industry it is. But starting to bounce off ideas with another person or another group of people is incredible to see because there are lots of things you can't see or you haven't even thought of. And I don't know, whatever that fusion is, you can create something incredible. If it's done with the right people also to have that drive and that that wanting to do attitude because you know it's not enough just to think about stuff you need to actually find ways to do it um, and of course there was probably um, the personal development at the forefront so what's in it for me um, but I guess when I started um, picking up the triathlon coaching you you give stuff to people you know you coach other people and you coach them to be better or to have some sort of breakthrough in a sports environment what i also did alongside and that's again just through meeting people through my work um i got always really curious about the um the mental aspect of life in general but like in sports like really that whatever happened on that those runs you know and when you have that headspace and everything oh, made sense all of a sudden and it's like how does this actually work what 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 role does the brain play um, in sports or generally in life and our thoughts and how our thoughts affect our ability to do stuff or holding us back or pushing us and da, da, da. so through work um, and a project we did um, I got to know these guys and um, they were looking just into kind of branding and, and things and really interesting company it's a bit like the school of life they're called um, whatever life throws mm -hmm. very intriguing uh, sort of like uh, obviously company as well and these guys have been phenomenal but it's basically um, NLP um, so they coach people to become NLP practitioners um, and obviously do like proper coaching as well. And uh, so NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. Sounds quite scary. It actually isn't. It depends on what you do with it. Um, they started out with marketing and sports and it makes perfect sense because it is like CBT um, is this sort of um, coaching or like finding methods in, in a positive way, obviously influencing your thoughts to change behavior. Obviously, you can go the, the, the other way. It mm -hmm. depends on your intentions. But let's say generally you would have good intentions. And the difference it made for me personally, so I always kind of work myself through stuff. 
Because if I haven't done it myself, I would never ask or would never coach someone on it, if that makes sense. So it's the same when I ask someone like, hey, why don't you sign up for a marathon? If I would have never done a marathon, I'm like kind of, I can't really quite also resonate with this. It was a bit of an integrity piece for me as well. Mm-hmm. But anyways, through that, to cut this a bit short, um, through those mental sort of like coaching um, elements, I bolted on my sports coaching. I really saw like, this is an incredible space we can explore and I don't see many people doing this. So kind of facilitate change through sport and give something to other people, yes. Do you see similarities with you in 10K as in terms of like your journey and then starting something like discovering a, I mean, I could be completely wrong with this, but like the reason why you set out 10K is because of what you experienced and you wanted to. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, I did it because I found something that I just really, really enjoyed doing. And Mm. to Cloudy's points, gave me headspace, gave me an opportunity to just actively do something, but also actively disengage from the other things I had been doing or that I needed to do. But also in that process, allowed me to discover all these new places and areas that I wouldn't have otherwise discovered. So Cloudy was talking about going to Reykjavik and discovering this new place and everything coming together in this perfect storm to make you fall in love with running in the way that you did. Mm -hmm. And I felt I feel that way about cycling and about 10,000 as well, because what happened was I was going out and I was starting to ride further and I was starting to get bored of doing the same thing over and over again. So I was looking for new things and then I'd find these amazing places or I'd get on the train and go somewhere else with a bunch of friends. And then we'd spend this amazing weekend together where cycling was not just the thing that we were doing, but it was the platform that we were using to kind of spend time with one another and socialize and catch up and I just realized that yeah it was something more there was something more in there that I wanted to explore and more and more people seemed interested in it and it just kind of snowballed from there really. There's a difference between that endurance sport and other sport in terms of what it gives people back that makes it very shareable yeah and I find that you know out of the, the group of friends I grew up with I'm the only one that cycles I'm the only one that don't do much running but I'm the only one that kind of does that kind of endurance sport mm-hmm. aspect and it's always I, I always want to share it with people I always want to share the benefits with them whereas I don't know you know I used to play five-a-side football I used to play kind of more team-based uh, sports and I never had that with those sports mm-hmm. I never had that kind of like almost just talking about like an, an epiphany of actually like this is doing me the world good physically but also mentally and I want to I want to get more people involved I don't I don't it's it's just kind of triggered me then that you don't really get that with many other I think it's because it's what maybe less so with endurance running and certainly the way that you do it (laughs) with cycling what so far I've only run a marathon (laughs) yeah that's true we'll we'll come to that but (laughs) there are many sports where you can go and spend three four hours doing it consistently whilst talking to people okay you're not doing it at the highest level possible but you're you're doing something and you're propelling yourself forward but you're also talking to people meeting people you can then get off the bike stuff your face to a disgusting degree and still manage to get back on the bike having had (laughs) spent an hour over coffee lunch cake all the rest of it so there's the ability to sort of crowbar or sort of splice a real social element into the sport that Mm. And an endurance level when you're going further as well because you're just slowing everything down and focusing more on the entirety of the distance as opposed to just going out giving it everything and leaving it on the road yeah. um, or whatever the yeah. surfaces that you're doing it on. 
I think it's the, the shareable bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It depends. I think we all kind of do degree you grew up with sports, school, yeah. whatever. Most people always tell me, like, especially here, like, they hated school sports, yeah. like track and fields and stuff like this. We don't have it to that, you know, we don't have cross country really um, in Germany. We do other things. Um, but I think if you find something, if you want to be active or you've somehow, like, you know, were fortunate enough that you have grown up in an environment through your family that they have put you in some sort of active, I don't know, environment, whatever that is. Um, if you can keep this through your 20s, I think you will have an incredible time in your 30s and upwards yeah. when you then kind of venture into the endurance sport. I think everyone has been in the shorter distances. We all tried something, team sports as well. I mean, you know, for example, tennis is actually quite a, I mean, it's just you there against an opponent, but there are obviously mix and doubles and stuff like this. And ultimately you do play in a team. So the, the th sort of tournaments I did, we were a team of six girls. So everyone had to have their own match, obviously, on the day against an opponent, but we were still appearing as a team. It never gave me, I mean, I loved kind of chasing and I loved that sort of game and play, but it never gave me whatever running was giving me or is giving me now. Um, and I can't quite put my finger on it, what it really is, but I think it's that exactly this, it's not so performance driven when we go into endurance. Um, I mean, you can't push it there, obviously, but you can share it. You can go on a on a long run or a long cycle ride with people and you can talk about it and you can basically create experiences and they become shared experiences where we all experience it slightly differently despite being in the same place, moving from the same point to the other. Um, but we, 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 we're still individuals. We have different backgrounds. We have different experiences, right? But even that, that slight distinction when you go on a bike ride but we can still share it. And I, I just love this. And, and and yeah, you don't just talk about the sports anymore. You talk about life. And I think that's what it is. I keep saying this when I actually do group runs and obviously like the faster runners at the front when I'm not necessarily like leading the run. Um, but when we do some sort of run, I actually loved running at the back and doing some back marking. Um, because, and I always said this, you know what? At the front, they always talk about races. <laughs> In the back, they talk about life. That That's really interesting. The The running at the back and talking to people that whilst you're actually doing something I find I don't know about you but again on these longer runs or longer rides people let their guards down so much mm. quicker I feel so much closer to people in a shorter space of time maybe it's maybe it's not the letting the guard down maybe it's shared experience as well mm. I've not really thought about that before but I think it is, it, yeah. then you, you you go out and you do this thing and you go through mm. the ups and the downs and the process yeah. together and you come out together with yeah. that shared experience and suddenly it becomes a comfortable space comfort zone yeah. I think like sports um even like exploring mental aspects and stuff like this um I mean because at some point I'm you say letting the guard down I mean so many times I we talk like proper life stuff things that are really difficult and emotionally like something you wouldn't just like sit down and, and talk about but somehow running or, or exercise or, or cycling like kind of unlocks this I think it makes people that we create a kind of comfortable sort of bubble you can open up in and yes it's the shared experience but i mean there's obviously chemically some stuff happening with like endorphins and all of nah. this yeah but <laughs> what happens i think as well as like when you spend some time with someone exercising and not in like some coaching setup but as friends you move from one point to another you're outdoors you're just absolutely present in the moment i think what happens is you you get into rapport and as soon as you're in rapport with a person you tune into each other so much more and you feel safe. Yeah. And I think that's when people really start to kind of like 
Yeah, and then if you have the right person as well alongside you who can kind of pick up on that sort of vibe and can can pick up that well, there's something going on, and I, I, and you can ask that question. But if you are on rapport and you have that sort of integrity, you can literally ask someone that question, and it's not just a well, how has it been? You know, how's your work been? I mean, you know. I, yeah okay i mean people might it's not that but if you can pick up that someone is not in a good place you can ask a question person can still say no right but in most cases they will always i mean it's it's literally like a floodgate opening like yeah. people just let go and it's incredible to 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 experience this and and obviously you give back as well i mean it's not just a one-way kind of sharing experience right but it's incredible that to see that people can have the ability or have the ability to open up when it's the right environment we all talk about performance and and you would think firsthand like it's about yeah cycling places cycling fast cycling far um same thing with running um I guess when you're even training for a race, um, so many people are so focused on the end goal. But when it's the longer the distance goes or the more challenging the, the challenge is, the more training you have to do and the more time you actually have to spend preparing for it. And I think that's where we really unlock potential is when we can do it together. I mean, the amount of hours I would train for an event or whatever over years, I mean, it's, it's accumulating over years as well. Um, if I wouldn't enjoy the training, why would I actually sign up for challenges, right? Because the challenges is really just like, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's just a, a blip on a timeline. Everything else around it, that's, that's the important stuff. Speaking of which, <laughs> UTMB. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Ultra Trail Mont Blanc. It, start, it starts next week. You've given that a crack. Yeah, more than once. Do you want to tell us about the sort of process building up to that and your experiences in those those two races? It's twice that you've done it, isn't it? UTMB, yeah, I've done another one yeah. before that, okay. which is kind of a bit shorter, not as extreme, but mm-hmm. equally fun. I'm sure you'll throw out distance <laughs> that makes us both feel physically <laughs> Well, the first one, oh God, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing it this year. So I've done UTMB, attempted UTMB last year and the year before and then TDS the year before that so it's it's been about yeah four years uh obviously a lot more years in the making um yeah i kind of got into ultra running you know after marathon it wasn't necessarily was the next big thing but you know you kind of end up doing ultras and eventually like i like this even more because this is trail this is the stuff i grew up on and that's kind of more or less where i come full circle not that i was actually ever intending to run these long distances but bringing it back to trail i'm like brilliant Anyway, so TDS is 125 um, kilometers, 70 something miles. Um, But you run it like, yeah, somewhat around like kind of Mont Blanc. Um, And I had a brilliant year that year, Um, finished it. I had even like, I had to sleep for 45 minutes because (laughs) after 100K, I was just like, I'm quite done. Um, In how many hours? I did it in, I can't remember, 27 or 28 hours. Yeah, it's a long time going. but yeah, I was in no rush. It was my first ever mountain race. I think it was my second ever ultra, third. Yeah, and um, anyway. And coming back to UTMB. So UTMB is um, Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc. It's one of the biggest ultras you can do um, in the world. I mean, there are lots of kind of great 100 milers and all of this, but UTMB is something very special. They have lots of different races, different distances. Um, Starts with an entry level of like 52 or something kilometers. This is OCC, CCC is 100, TDS then 120, 125. And then UTMB is that one race you do. Um, They made it slightly longer, so 106 miles. I mean, what are 10 kilometers between friends? (laughs) Um, And you basically go around Mont Blanc 
like run, walk, crawl. I mean, it doesn't matter as long as you kind of somehow make it back. You start in Chamonix in France. Um, then you go around into Italy. Um, so then you go on the other side of Mont Blanc. You never have to go up, which is great. I mean, it's a bloody high mountain, yeah? Um, and then you go from Italy into Switzerland, back into France. And it's 170 yeah, kilometers with 10,000 meters of climbing. I think that's where the bragging rights are. It's really the elevation as well, up and down. Um, and you have 46 hours to complete this. People always ask me, like, well, do you sleep? I was like, well, you don't have time to sleep. I mean, yeah. you're going to be surprised in how slow you, you're going, especially when you have to climb, I don't know, for two, three hours because the Alps are very steep and it takes a long time uh, to get places. Um, and it's a long distance. I mean, it's a very long distance to cover. And so, yeah, I had... You also have to qualify for this race, right? You cannot just like rock up and say, like, yeah, cool, I want to do this. I mean, lots of people <laughs> want to do this. There's a ballot as well. Um, but you have to race... Um, certain either like certain distances with elevation so either if it's shorter it will be steeper or like you would have to do like some sort of a hundred k and a hundred miler and something like this to to even gain points to qualify to be even able to apply to you know get a place and then and it's, it's and it's still it's still a lottery yeah, yeah. so um yeah, people are crazy enough. Um, sadly, I mean, it's interesting to see as well because the female participation is very, very low. And there have been so many discussions about it as well, like why that is. Um, I don't necessarily think it's the challenge is too big because women tend to be really, really good when it comes to longer distances. I mean, yeah. they're literally up there time-wise with the men. I mean, so many times I see women doing 100 milers, they come fourth overall, like, you know one, two, three men, fourth is the woman. I was like, this is incredible to see. I'm not quite sure what it is with UTMB. I guess maybe there's a bit of a, it is a big, it's a big task. I mean, I tried it twice and I'd say I was quite fit. Even last year, I took three months more or less off to train more specifically because you can't really, I mean, for a race like this, you just like, it's a bit like Sisyphus. You kind of like keep trying to run up and down a hill, but you will never get good enough to kind of do this race really well. And and I really thought like last year, I felt really good. I thought I'm definitely going to finish that race. First year I didn't manage. I pulled out, pulled the plug basically at 120 kilometers, I think, which is kind of shorter than the race I did the year before. The course is slightly different and it was very hot and I was just like, hadn't had it in me. I was just absolutely broken. There was a thunderstorm rolling in and I'm just like, I was mentally, emotionally and physically somewhat defeated um I was so tired as well and um so obviously last year I said like I'm going to do it one more time and I'm trying I'm really trying really hard to finish this and prepare for it and um I said took that time off and tried to train as much as possible alongside life I guess that's what lots of people forget as well I mean I'm not doing this as my main job I, there's lots of other things happening and I do have a life outside work even um and um anyway so Last year, the weather was interesting. It was polar opposite of the year before. So instead of 30 degrees, it was like something like minus 10 and, and zero degrees. And obviously, the higher you go, the more challenging that weather becomes. And it was just a washout. Uh, we had snow. I mean, it was August. It's like summer in the valleys. But at the top there, it wasn't. And I really struggled with the cold. So I somehow managed to get through the first night. You start at six o'clock uh, on a Friday evening. It's another one of those things, you know, like all day you don't know what to do with yourself. And then like, right, okay, now there are like 3,000 something people standing in like all sorts of crazy gear with backpacks and poles and compression and from all over the world. And then there's this hymn and then people like storm out of Chamonix or walk because it's quite narrow and there's lots of people. That's so mean. It's, it's like, it's just... in the evening. Like, let's yeah. make them stay up a day then. Yeah. Then make them start running. Well, the whole idea is that well, it's kind of... Because people come from work. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly for those who kind of still like... 
have to oh, work yeah, quite hard. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, no, because it's <laughs> Well, the whole idea is that you, because that's the main race. They want um, the race. To, obviously, the race finishes on Sunday at three o'clock, and the ceremony with all the awards more or less is then at yeah. four or five o'clock. So they want to kind of have that sort of big finish at, yeah. on a Sunday. And they did give you those 46 hours in between to kind of figure how to get back into Chamonix and around Mont Blanc. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, that's another challenge. I mean, like, when do you run at night? I mean, unless you do a very, very long distance, um, you don't, I mean, why would you, like, train at night? I mean, I want to sleep at night because I've got a job, right? Yeah, it's all too. these things, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you run into the first night and yeah, it was snowy and all of this. It was really cold, even the next morning. and never got really warm. Then it started to train. I mean, it was just, like, it was crazy. And I didn't even make it further than I did the year before. I, I pulled the plug at, um, I think, 100k at the bottom of one of the last kind of really steep, uh, crazy climbs. But I've done this the year before and they really made an announcement in the tent and said, like, you have all been out there in the past 24 hours. You've seen the weather. Um, we can only help you as much, but make sure you eat enough, you warm, you're warm enough. It is absolutely crazy out there. So the faster field, they actually managed to kind of get through this better. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the slower you were or the longer you kind of got delayed, it was really just so bad on the Saturday. Um, they said, like, we have um, more than minus 10 degrees and wind chill up at the top. And it's just basically a raging snowstorm. And that climb is in Italy is completely exposed. There is no tree cover. There is nothing which in the heat is not nice, but also if you're going literally into a storm, you're completely soaked to your bones already, yeah. despite having waterproofs. I mean, they only kind of, you know, keep you dry for that long. Uh, we all know this. I mean, I think you know, yeah. have an experience from cycling as well. It's like, it's not a plastic bag. Um, you just, you have to think like, this is going to be me against the elements. And it's not about not wanting to do it or not having the guts to do it or not toughening it out. It's, it's really like, I am literally going to die out there. Mm. I mean, there is rescue and stuff like this, but I mean, this is not what we're coming for. It's, it's the race is that challenging because it is about making those decisions. It's like, how far can you push it? How far can you push yourselves? How far, how far can you push your limits within, you know, the environment setup? Um, and sometimes I think the hardest is really just to say, no, that's it. I would have probably made it up two or 300 meters of that climb. Problem is, it's not just about going up. I need to make it back down either way. And, and it's the same when people are mountaineering, right? So they, they try to kind of summit. Everyone is, 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 is going on about the summit. It's one thing to make it to the summit. You need to make it back down again. And with that race it was the same thing. You get to the top. Um, and there's nothing there. There's just someone to kind of like scan your bib to make sure you made that uh, timing point. They are in one of these like igloo sort of tents um, for them to keep warm. There is no feed station. There is no water. There is nothing. And you have to get back down, ideally on the other side, because you want to progress on your journey on that race or the other side of safety. And there's no, there's not going to be mountain rescue or helicopter kind of like taking you down there in a snowstorm, yeah. right? And I said like, I'm not, I'm not going up. And it was hot. I sat there for two or three hours in the aid station. It was eating and everything. And I knew I'm not going to go out. And I knew nothing will change that. And I was sitting there shivering and just like, I can't believe this is happening. I trained so hard for it. I really wanted to give this a go. But I know I just can't. And then I walked to... Um, then they basically said, like, that's it. That's now the time that has run out. So they have, like, reinforced um, um, cut-off times as well. Um, and I just walked up and then they cut my bib. They cut the barcode out. And it's like, oh, it's like, it's an incredible, it's, it's so, I don't know, I can't <laughs> describe this. It's kind of a bit soul-destroying. <laughs> how, how do you cope? Oh, I don't know. 
I mean, I ate pizza and drank wine after that, so... Okay, I mean, so we were in Italy. <laughs> I, was still, I was still in Italy, <laughs> so yeah. after all, best, best pizza I ever had. <laughs> and I cannot... I mean, like, a glass of wine was brilliant. <laughs> was brilliant. Yeah. But, in all yeah. when you put, when you say yeah. this, that race isn't turning up on a Saturday afternoon thinking, I'll give that a bash, that is a sum of its parts. That's not even months. That's years of mm. work leading you there from starting with that 10k around the lake and saying I don't like this to the marathon in Reykjavik thinking mm. oh my god that was amazing and every other run mm. in between how how do you reconcile the, the not completing that race with sort of everything that you did, you've done to get there um I mean with any I mean it's, it's, it's incredible like last year I probably had the most DNFs next to my name uh, DNFs did not finish. Um, oh, it hurts. I mean, it is quite, uh, and you know, like you, you come up in some sort of rankings and like you have this next to your name. It's like, oh, this is so horrible. Um, slight reminder, obviously. Um, I mean, I don't run for medals and stuff like this, right? And even if I do a race, if I don't, I think what really changed last year for me was like just generally life has been a bit crazy. I mean, when is life you know ever easy <laughs> i guess we're pushing somehow the boundaries i think if you're doing something in endurance sports you're generally like that type of personality that wants to live and push towards the edge a little bit right wherever that is personal sort of like you know boundaries and way beyond that um i think it was always a very humbling experience and i, I think because i was never racing for those um I was always racing for intrinsic sort of rewards, if that makes sense. So for me, I had my very personal finish line. And I always say, I don't care where the actual physical finish line of that race is. I set myself a finish line. And that can be kind of quite dynamic on the day as well, or on the weekend or whatever that is. Um, because you constantly have to check in, like, kind of, where am I at with this, right? And is this actually true? Like, do I not just maybe have a Coca-Cola or, like, something to eat? And then I feel a lot better and then I can push on. But... I think it's just like kind of where do you want to get with this why are you doing this or why do you run why do you cycle and um what else defines you in life and for me a finish line doesn't define me if that makes sense a race also doesn't define me i mean i'm doing this for fun i'm not earning my money with it right mm. i mean it becomes a different it becomes a different game so why should i put so much pressure into it if i'm personally like somewhat competitive and i want to have that challenge and want to see where i get to that's one thing but you know, if other people think like, oh, why didn't you finish? And like, oh, come on, just toughen it up a bit. Or like, oh, why don't you do less? Why don't you do something? It's like, you know, it's not about that. I mean, ultimately, you don't need to understand my drivers, right? I need to be content with what I'm doing. Um, and I think, yeah, so the not finishing races, um, also not finishing the very, very brutal races is an exceptionally humbling experience. It sets your world it resets your world basically because you question everything you question like how much time have i spent how much time have i invested in this um what you know what what did i have to cut out i mean was there relationships or anything time with family um did i kind of like you know work then so much that i can enable myself to kind of travel to these places it's expensive traveling from the uk all the time to the to the ups and as fun as it always looks i mean there needs to be some resources in place. You change your mindset and you change your attitude towards the things you originally thought out to do, if that makes sense. You know, like you go and want to do this race and you want to complete this race because X, Y, and Z. Stuff changes when you don't finish it, when you don't get it, that gratification and instant gratification. I mean, in doing sports, there is no such thing, <laughs> um, which is great. Um, 
so you yeah you 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 teach yourself a lesson in in patience and and yes toughening up and sometimes just accepting it's not mine it's not for me i tried i tried my best i could probably do even better but that would mean like completely changing my life as in quit my job live in the mountains of course yes we all know the the more you train the better or more specific you train you can really have a go at it right Mm. but we're still you know there are other things in life happening and and i'm quite glad they are happening and i wouldn't want to kind of do this just single-minded one thing for one goal that maybe in five years time isn't even relevant to me anymore because i'm not interested in it i mean running will always be there Mm. but i don't think i need those challenges so you don't wish that you'd nailed it first time oh definitely never never I mean, not. Ne- I mean, not. not work. We, I think we need to have some positive experience from time to time, just to kind of see, like, okay, we're getting somewhere because it's reinforcing, like, you know, like you're doing training and you're progressing, and you need some positive feedback, right? So it's good to finish some races. It's good to have good experiences, like Reykjavik or whatever, or like run a PB or whatever that is. You know, you run for different reasons, so you will have different rewards that you feel like that's great for me. That's what I want. Um, but I think we learn a lot more from the setbacks, mm. from the things that don't go so well. Because if you if you never kind of run into a wall, if you never get to the point where you really have to give up and have to question like your choices, it, it, I mean, life will be really boring, but also it never really shapes you as a person. Does that make sense? Like your personality, like you never, you don't become, a, you know, they don't get an edge. You don't know where, where are actually my boundaries, right? And, and, Maybe I'm not, I mean, no one is perfect, right? But uh, you need, I think you learn so much more from, I wouldn't even call it failure. I think it's opportunities. It's a different way, you know, like you, you, you plan to go a certain way on a certain journey and you follow a path and then something happens. Let's say that's an obstacle in the way and you have different, different choices. Either you go over, you go around it, you reverse out of it um, or whatever it is. But I think every time you hit some sort of obstacle on the way, that's when you learn the most about you. And speaking mm. of opportunities, you've got a, another ridiculous race coming up. I wouldn't Maybe. say it's ridiculous. I mean, let's let's speak I about let's, let's speak about <laughs> oh, let's speak about that when I've actually done it. Um, so far, I mean, I'm just like absolutely oblivious about anything. So it's in uh, about ten days' time. I'm still running and training like I'm not supposed to tape or whatever, but my training hasn't gone to plan as well. I think that's another thing, like going into a race where you know, like, okay, my training has just not been ideal. I think it already changes your setup and how you go into that race. Obviously, um, the race I'm doing, maybe I should just mention this, um, is Gore-Tex Transalpine Run. Mm -hmm. You do it with a team partner and you start in one country and you take in three to four countries depends on which route it is they have two routes like an eastern or western route and as the name says it's transalpine so you are going across the alps on foot not by cable car or by plane and stuff so we start in germany so the race always starts in germany so they have an eastern and a western route we're doing the uh, western route this year uh, starts in germany few mountain passes up and down into Austria, all the way across Austria, and you finish in Italy. The eastern one has got a bit of Switzerland like thrown in. So eastern <laughs> is slightly longer, maybe 20 kilometers longer. Ours is only 255 kilometers mm-hmm. with like 16,000 uh, meters of climbing. Oh, but, uh, but, but we've got seven days. So like, seven this is days. why I'm like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's totally the fine. The isn't so good. 
Um, well, it's different distances each day. Um, the first one is quite punchy. I think we start with like something like 50 kilometers. Mm -hmm. um, that's what people would do literally as their one race in the year. Um, so we start with 50, the next day is 28, then goes back up to like 48. So the first three days are actually really quite tough. Um, and then it kind of like hovers around the 35 kilometer mark. Start on a Sunday, finish on a Saturday. Yeah. And you do it uh, with a team partner. I think um, that's really interesting. I always said, like, I'm never going to do a stage race. So let's talk about this when I'm actually have done it. Probably still, I don't even know why I said yes to this. But anyway, um, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something shorter. I mean, that's yeah, right, debatable. So speaking, yeah. <laughs> well, it kind of is bite sizes now because I don't have to do 250 kilometers in one push. Um, I think it's actually quite harder to kind of, you know, run a bit then try to kind of get yourself organized and then the next morning when you are sore and tired yeah. and you're like oh my god i have to do it again and again and again and again and again i, th I think seven days is quite a lot yeah like um but yeah that's that's my challenge just to kind of see how that goes and it's a completely different type of racing because yes Like, yeah, of course, my finish line is somewhere in, in Italy, ideally, but just being able to, and coming back to that sharing piece, interestingly enough, we're all mm -hmm. racing, right? But we're racing with a team partner. Um, there are even like father and son racing. Yeah? There are like girls and boys racing. They're just women's only team, men's only and all of this. And, and lots of people are very good at it and they will perform brilliantly and other people really just come for that journey and i think having that incredible mix of people um through all ages as well i mean there are people in their 50s and 60s that are doing this i mean that's that's quite a big undertaking um just yeah and with a team partner like you have to work it together no matter how bad you are i mean obviously you ideally have a team partner to help you to kind of kick a bit out of this sort of state or kind of keep a bit an eye on you but like it's the same you have to give that back as well or you might be in a miserable place both of you at the same time right so how do we get ourselves to the finish line on that day right and then still being able to talk still kind of somewhat keeping it together and 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 positive because seven days is a long time right um yeah. so yeah it's gonna be interesting to see and like you say you can pick one another up as you go along but that devil on your shoulder when you're running alone will be twice as strong if you're both yeah. in that same dark place it won't yeah. be you telling yourself maybe we should stop maybe this is it someone else will also yeah. be physically saying in your ear yeah maybe we should stop maybe this is it yeah. i think that's another reason why i'm i'm curious so curious to do this just to exactly this like you have this like self-talk with you like it's the conversation um on, on a race and it's so easy to talk yourself out of it Right. I mean, I guess our threshold is somewhere else because we're like in doing sports, we, we push ourselves, we train ourselves. I think our like, I'm going to stop happens a lot later than other people would like be doing a 10K or a marathon or whatever like this. Um, but I think what, um, and I've experienced this by, by from pacing or getting paced on a hundred miler. So pacing means like from halfway point, you can have a runner, a friend to support you and actually run with you the distance. We talk about pacing. That's really only relevant for people who like run really fast and want to kind of like, get to the podium or whatever ultimately a pacer is a support person like someone to keep you mentally sane remind you of like eat how you're doing trying to keep you happy or just talk to you or whatever like kind of to just really help you to keep moving and i think with that team challenge and attire the transalpine run is when you are with someone you don't necessarily always show your worst, if that makes sense. You kind yeah. of keep it together a bit more. 
Um, I mean, obviously, like the, the people you would do it with or the paces you ask to kind of help you on that journey, you know, and you kind of brief them on it. It's like, look, this you will see the best and the worst of me in that time. Are you up for that challenge? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's one thing like that you put yourself on the line and want to run 100 miles or whatever. It's uh, taking another person on that journey. But what I've experienced is like when I am with other people, I have someone pacing me or I run together, I keep it together differently. And when I have these sort of dark moments, yes, I got quiet, but you have probably talked about it before. And it's like, you know, that person will pick up on it and will say like, what's up? You're suffering, right? What's going on right now? Tell me. Mm. So even ha being able to have that conversation with someone you, you trust or feel comfortable around makes a huge difference, I think, to, to, to your racing, to your journey, to the performance or whatever you want to get out of it. Um, and yeah. We've done some training races together as well where we have gone into these sort of like dark places and I think we've done well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You both know what you're getting yourselves into. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But <laughs> you know. Well, um, good luck. Thanks. I yeah, I might, I might not see you. Let's yeah, see how that goes. Yeah, we'll be sure <laughs> to uh, check in and see how Trying you get Trying not to on. fall off a mountain, basically. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks very much. No worries. Good time. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cloudy since returned from the Transalpine run, having successfully finished the race with her partner Matt in just over 50 hours. A massive congratulations to her. That's us until next time. Outside of the podcast, you'll find 10,000 kilometers in all the usual places. For the most up-to-date idea of where we're going and what we're doing, follow us on Instagram at 10,000km.cc. Over on our website, you can pledge your annual distance milestone and join the collective, as well as discover new routes and read stories from our recent rides.